And I'm happy this morning. Let's see if I get this. Um, to have the opportunity to share with you Christian's resources that help us thrive with the inevitable and unavoidable stresses of our lives. Christians have resources that no one else has. To enhance our learning, I would like to begin with a little test on your impression about stress. I don't want this test to cause any of you stress, however, <laughs> so I'm not going to grade any of your papers. In fact, there won't even be papers. But please answer mentally with a true or false. Uh, true or false, stress is an important factor in nearly 45% of diseases. True or false? Unfortunately, in our present society, most stress is unavoidable. True or false? Stress lowers blood glucose and diabetes. True or false? It is a fact that most of the effects of stress are outside of our control. All right, let's look at the answers. First is false. Uh, the latest studies suggest that stress is a contributing factor not in 45%, but actually 80 to 90% of diseases. Again, for number two, the answer is false. Unfortunately, in our present society, some, though not most, stress is unavoidable. Third, uh, this too is false. Stress elevates blood glucose, and those of you who are diabetic know this by experience. And lastly, false again. Um, while it is true that some of the effects of stress are outside of our control, most is under our control. Sometimes the media seems to give the false narrative that everything causes cancer, everything gives stress. Sometimes we almost want to throw up our hands that we're just helpless victims caught in a lifeboat and bobbing along the sea of life. But I hope you see by the end of this lecture that there's much we can do that is powerful and effective that God has provided to his children to relieve the stresses of our everyday life. <clears throat> but what do we mean when we use the word stress? As uh, Laura said this morning, there's some complicated uh, definitions. Clinically, the term stress is referring to a partial or full activation of the body's alarm system for fight or flight with the release of powerful chemical stress hormones. The three major stress hormones are cortisol, GH, and norepinephrine, but there are another, a number of others involved as well, and I'm sure you want me to go through all the biochemistry. Uh, stress is related to feelings of and negative emotions such as anger, discontent, jealousy, envy, hatred, fright, worry, guilt, shame. And, of course, the opposite of stress is peace. And this is associated with positive emotions. And perhaps you've seen the scientific studies linking love to endocrine and neuroendocrine hormones, powerful hormones that are released, and they're associated health benefits. Stress which causes this fight or flight response has profound physiological effects on us. It increases our cholesterol levels, blood pressure, blood glucose levels, and heart rate. It redirects blood flow from the stomach to the skeletal muscles. It induces irregular breathing. And though this response is designed to protect us, 
when even a minor stress response is prolonged, it can contribute to serious disease. Stress effects depend upon four different factors. First, frequency, how often the stress is present. Second, duration, how long the stress lasts. And third, intensity, how strong a biological reaction the stress induces. And lastly, the sensitivity of the individual, what is needed to trigger a stress reaction. The first two stress effects depend on the stress itself, the stressor, the agent of stress. The last two stress effects depend on how we respond to the stress. The first two stress effects have to do with external environmental factors, and the last two stress effects have to do with our internal, our individual physiologic and well as psychologic reactions to the stress. Our aim is not to remove all the stress from our life. Unfortunately, in Chattanooga, we're surrounded by crime greatly increased with the rampant use of drugs. And as a precaution, when we built our house and just moved into it, my wife and I installed a security system on the house with a perimeter surveillance of a system running 24-7. This Tuesday night at two minutes before midnight, Sherry wakened me. Our surveillance system had chirped. There was a motion at our front porch. When the chirping continued and I continued sleeping, Sherry woke me up and whispered, there's someone on our front porch. As I told you, we have every inch of our home perimeter secured by 10 surveillance cameras. So putting on my glasses, I looked at the video images coming from our alarm surveillance system. Sure enough, there was movement on the front porch. Here's the actual footage. A spider was actively spinning its web directly over the camera and its motion detector. And this triggered the alarm signal. Do you think the solution is turning the security system off? Or do you think the solution is adjusting the sensitivity of the motion detector? Well, of course, I did the obvious and turned the security system sensitivity down a notch. And this is true of life. Our aim is not to indiscriminately eliminate stress alarms from our lives, but to properly adjust the sensitivity to triggers and events. For example, alcohol can uh, lower our body's stress response, but it is an indiscriminate lowering. Our aim is always to have an appropriate stress response, and alcohol increases the risk of injury or death because we don't respond adequately to stress. In, in some areas of our life, we may need a decreased anxiety level and decreased stress response. But in a few areas of our lives, we may need to be aroused to danger. In these areas, we may actually need an increased stress response. Just as a security system may be needed in our crime-filled society, our body's stress alarm system is needed for our danger-filled society. A stress response can motivate us to get help. A proper stress response now may mean decre decreased stress later. I'm sure everyone here is familiar with the myth that a frog will boil to death if the water is heated gradually. This myth originated in an article published in a psychology journal in 1897. Though the myth has been shown to be false, like many other myths, it continues to be popular and taught as truth. Though this myth is not true for a frog, it does make a point that is all true true for 
for humans. In Noah's day, only Noah and his family were saved by the ark. The rest of the world received no stress and they sought no help. Though some of our stress is necessary and helpful, much of our stress is unnecessarily necessary and harmful. Perhaps some are here this morning that have allergies. Those who are allergic have a body that's overreacting to harmless substances, triggers, like pulling a fire alarm when there's no fire. The body is unnecessarily reacting strongly to these harmless substances. And this illustrates how we can overreact to harmless triggers in life and have anxiety where anxiety is not needed. So our aim is to have a fully functional alarm system that gives us a proper warning of danger when we need to fight or take flight, but not sounding an alarm from insignificant triggers. We can control stress by controlling the environment, and we can control stress by controlling our response to stress as we learn better stress management skills. How can environmental stresses be controlled? The first way is called primary prevention. Where possible, avoid the stress to begin with. Obviously, this is the best kind of stress control, and wherever possible, we should try to prevent stress in the home, work, school, and recreation. Primary prevention requires responsibility, order, and discipline with organization and schedule, appropriate caution and care, and interpersonal relationship skills. All these things the Bible gives us. Uh, much unnecessary stress can be eliminated by proper planning, time and money management, and interpersonal disciplines with prompt and clear communication, meekness, humility, and in the home, a lot of forgiveness. But prevention is outside the scope of our time together this morning. Even if we're so organized, careful, and disciplined that we somehow manage to prevent all preventable stress, we would still face some environmental stresses that we cannot control. What controllable factors determine our responses to stress? By understanding and learning these controllable factors, we can greatly minimize the negative stress effects in our life. Let's examine stress intensity first. A seminal and often quoted study on this topic was done by psychiatrists Thomas Holmes and Richard Rahe in uh, 1967. They found that the death of a spouse was the most intensely stressing event individuals face. The second most stressful event is divorce. While spouse death or divorce was usually a high stress event, it was not always true. Why? What made the difference? I remember uh, going to a colleague of mine and seeing his wife, uh, her husband had died, the colleague had died uh, some months before. And so I went, we were visiting in the area, we went with my uh, uh, mom, who was a good friend of hers, and my wife, and I sat down and I thought maybe I'd bring her some comfort, and I asked her uh, how she was uh, doing and handling it since, uh, she was, since her husband had uh, uh, passed away. And she said, that was the best event of my life. I was shocked. Um, he was a very miserable person to live with. And his death was a stress reliever for her. To understand uh, these various factors of what uh, improves our stress or changes our stress uh, levels, the first key to stress management is our general health and energy level. 
The mind affects the body and the body affects the mind. They work together. We can't handle as much stress when we're tired or sick. During my internship and residency, when required to be up all night and then still work the next day, you know what I discovered? I was much more irritable on those days, low triggers, and uh, I realized that I had a tiger inside of me that was kept at bay when I was well rested. Uh, little things bothered me that typically I wouldn't even give them a second thought. How do children behave when they're tired? How do children behave without breakfast? Do you remember the Iowa breakfast studies that showed that uh, children's behavior is affected by their lifestyle choices? To protect our general health and increase our energy level, we need to have a knowledge of the laws of health. And of course, it's not enough to simply know the laws of health. We must follow the laws of health we know. Um, my dad gave me some great advice when I went off to medical school. He said this, he said, Phil, you're gonna learn some things that uh, should impact your choices of life. You're gonna learn some things that maybe you like to do, but you find out they're hard on your body. Make it your decision now that information is going to be your friend. You're going to welcome it, and you'll be thankful. And even if you like to do this thing that turned out to be um, harmful, like to eat this or uh, do this, you will bring your life by the power of God into harmony with the laws that God made your life with. And he says you're also going to discover, perhaps, that there are things that you don't like to do that you ought to do. Some foods maybe you don't like to eat that you ought to be eating. Use that information to your advantage. Don't just use it as something to teach the patients. Use it as something to adopt for your own self. Let truth be your guide. Um, we try as a congregation to provide information to our congregation, to the community. Uh, on health. This is in itself a help for stress relief. Dinner with a doctor, diabetes undone, which we've uh, just uh, started uh, our graduation and our concluding uh, program. Other health programs that the professionals of this church put on to provide wonderful information on the laws of health. Proper diet, rest, exercise, water, fresh air, sunshine, regularity in schedule routine, temperance, non-smoking, non-alcohol. These contribute to a sense of well-being and an antidote to anxiety and depression. The second key to stress management could be called conscience. There are other names that could be used, but I think this is the most generally understood term. That inner voice of what is right and what is wrong that we're born with. That inner compass doesn't always work. It needs education. And some prefer ignorance of the laws of health so that they can violate the laws of health without the stress of guilt. They're willing ignorant. My dad was a, uh, a minister and a leader in a community with stop smoking uh, plans in the state of Connecticut and then later in Pennsylvania. Um, he worked with um, Thousands of people helping them off cigarettes. But I remember because he'd have us uh, kids involved with, uh, with the education, um, with the stop smoking programs. 
And I remember one lady that came into the Stop Smoking program, and uh, she had a frown on her face um, that was longer than a mile smile. And uh, she sort of plopped herself down and said in an angry fashion, I wish I lived back before they knew all the problems with cigarettes so I could just smoke in peace. Uh, this stress program, their stress program, her stress program was simply ignorance. But unfortunately, ignorance doesn't protect us from the consequences of our health habits. It's merely a stress-reduced way to kill ourselves. Ignorance is not bliss because sometimes what we don't know is killing us. God wants us to know for our good. Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The second law of conscience is the stress we experience when we do what we believe to be wrong. Guilt is one of the greatest stressors that we can experience. This can give us immense stress in some situation. Adultery brings a stress that can kill a person with a tenuous heart function. It's amazing. Some misinterpret the body's stress response to, to conscience, that is violation of one of God's laws, doing what they know is wrong. They, they interpret this body's stress response as excitement. Interestingly, the physiologic changes that occur when we believe we are lying are often measurable by lie detector tests, which is a measure of certain components of our body's stress signals, stress response, which uh, is present when we lie. This is the law of sin and guilt. Guilt is what we feel when we do something that we know to be wrong. Guilt brings the stresses of anxiety, fear of exposure, fear of shame, and it brings the stress of distrust of others. It contributes to depression. James 4.17, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. The third law of conscience is the law of happiness. This results from knowing and doing what we know to be right. This results in happiness. Christ says, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. And God wants us happily. So let's quickly review the three laws of conscience. Willing ignorance produces a silent conscience, which results in self-destructive behavior without guilt. There's no guilt, no, not stress from our conscience, because it's uninformed and silent. Knowledge without obedience produces an activated conscience, resulting in guilt. And third, knowledge and obedience produces a contented conscience resulting in happiness. Now what do we do to remove guilt stress? The most common way to remove the stress of guilt is to silence the conscience. The conscience can be silenced by suppressing it. This is most commonly done by ignoring it, which damages it, making it less sens sensitive, or seeking out people who will tell us that what we do that's bad is okay. We can ignore it by procrastination, as we will fail to follow it today, waiting for a more convenient time to start a health program. For years, 
I was going to start exercising. I would do it uh, in the morning. I was going to do it tomorrow morning because tonight I'm a little too tired. When I would wake up in the morning, I'd be too tired, and so I was going to do it in the evening. And so I was almost on an exercise program. Um, and uh, that went on for years until finally my oldest daughter, Rachel, um, started an exercise program and it shamed me into uh, starting one, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, we can look, as I said, for authorities that will deny there's any harm in the activity we choose to do. The Bible calls this process of ignoring the stern voice of duty and conscience as searing the conscience. Another way is to stay in a constant state of activity, avoiding reflective thought. Uh, some people, they just can't stand not to have t television or music blaring because in the silence, their conscience can speak to them. A fourth way, um, a third way is to balance our guilt with blame of others and circumstance. It's not my fault. It's others. Uh, the devil made me do it. Um, you know, if I didn't have this wife, I'd be different. I can't say that of my wife because she's a saint. So I don't have that as a possible explanation for me. A fourth way to suppress the conscience is to irritatingly comply. Like that lady who went to the stop smoking program and she was going to stop but she was doing it without happiness. I think of uh, President Lyndon Johnson, who quit smoking after he had a serious heart attack. His doctor said, if you don't stop smoking, you're going to die of a heart attack. So he stopped. But he never stopped the love of smoking. And so he always kept a cigarette in his pocket, and for 12 years, it just rolled it around his lips, never lit it. He was not an ex-smoker. He that wasn't passed for him. He was simply going through a misery of wanting and not being able to do something. His heart never changed. And not surprisingly, 12 years later, when he was on his ranch, one day the urge became overmastering and he just started smoking again. And within a few months, he was dead, heart attack. Now, the pain of guilt may be minimized or even eliminated because some of these ways are quite effective, but none of the results are changed. Rather than silencing the voice of God speaking through our conscience, we can have our guilt removed by gaining a clear conscience. This is done by allowing God to give us the gift of repentance and confessing our sin. True repentance means to be sorry for the sin itself not sorry we were caught committing it or sorry for the consequences of the sin, but sorry for the sin itself. And the final key to stress management is our perspective. Our perspective can be a very, very powerful way to decrease our stress. Our perspective on life, our worldview is formed by four things. Our education is what we've learned from others. Now, last Saturday night, we had an incredibly good 
speaker in Gale. Um, and she works there in Thailand. Those of you who are here know. <laughs> uh, she's there among people who, uh, among the uh, Korans who are uh, uh, Burmese uh, immigrants fleeing from persecution in the government. And they're devil worshipers. She's working with them. And uh, even now, this is from uh, back uh, almost 100 years when missionaries first came to the area, uh, they were taught, the uh, uh, Korans were taught that the um, white missionaries were there, would eat their children, and taking a picture of a camera would uh, capture the soul. Um, but what, does, uh, what happens over time? Education can change that, although as we heard from Gail, there was still one person who asked a question if the white people were still eating Cor uh, uh, the Koran children. Um, but now, the uh, Korans uh, have their own cameras. Um, our experience is the next thing that changes our perspective, what we've learned from life. I never forget, I was sitting on an airplane, and this was back before they figured out how to fill up every airplane and every available seat. And it turned out that I was about the only person on this plane. And so the stewardess had me just come up to the very front seat and, uh, and she sat down and we began to talk. And uh, I asked about her history and she told me that uh, she had been a nurse and had loved nursing until something had happened to her mother. Her mother had been diagnosed with a, uh, a uterine cancer. And at first, um, they told the doctor, do everything to save the life of our mother, and he did. Did every possible thing. And uh, she had great medical treatment, but she continued to get worse, and she continued to get worse, and she continued to get worse. And over several years, her, her uh, her weight uh, began to go down. She became very nauseated. And finally, when she passed away, the stewardess told me, she said, uh, it was actually a stress reliever because we knew that her discomfort, her pain was gone. What had happened over the time that made, for, made the thought of her mother dying to the thought of her mother living, um, thought of the uh, mother dying stress to the thought of the mother living being a stress, what had changed? The experience. Thirdly, our goals are what we plan to do for life, what we want to from life. I, uh, for years, I did sports medicine, and I also did occupational uh, uh, work comp injuries. And it was very interesting, those uh, patients that were on the football team and were injured, or the basketball team and were injured, it was very hard for me to keep them from playing a game. They didn't want me to write a restriction. And on the other hand, sometimes, 
Not always, there were many motivated workers, but sometimes there were workers that didn't want me to write a script that they were uh, released to go back to work. What was the difference? Their goals, their plans on life. And then lastly, our expectations um, give us our, perspect our perspective. And there's a great difference in stress between what we experience and our expectations and are disappointed or not expecting something and we're pleasantly surprised. So let's quickly review the three keys to stress management. Our general health and energy level, we notice this has to do with our bodies, our physical nature. And then our consciences, this has to do with our spirit, our spiritual nature. And then our perspective, which has to do with our minds, our mental faculties and outlook. And we must attack our stress with all the resources at our command, body, mind, and spirit. Perspective is a very powerful tool to change almost overwhelming difficulties. If your face was burned and you were left with severe scars so that others couldn't recognize you, would you still be you? In this picture, the scars were from an abusive husband who became angry and purposefully burned his wife. If you were in an auto accident and paralyzed from the neck down, would you still be you? If you had a stroke and lost the ability to talk, would you still be you? What makes you, you, anyway? There's a biblical word that describes the person you really are. And that word is spirit. It's very important to understand this word, and many people are confused by the term. In both the Old and the New Testament, the word spirit is translated from words meaning breath or wind. It has a variety of meanings and is used in a variety of ways and contexts. Like the wind, it is difficult to put your finger on the spirit yet it's no the, nonetheless real. As sometimes used, it is synonymous with the English word character. Perhaps the clearest use of the term is found in 1, Tim, 1 Peter 3, 4. To get the context, however, we'll begin with verse 3. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating of the hair, wearing of gold, or putting on an apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet, what's that word? Spirit, which in the sight of God is of great price. My dad used to say, pretty is as pretty does. Here the word translated spirit is the hidden man of the heart, which is what we would call character, and that is how some modern translations, such as the New American Bible, translate this passage as character. That's correct. In this text and others, the word spirit means our character. The word character comes from a Greek word meaning for a stamping tool. Now, years ago in medical school, I was asked to teach a class uh, on character. And when I was asked to do that, I didn't even know what the term character meant myself. And so uh, I was trying to figure out what is this word character, what does it mean? And so I took a piece of paper 
did just exactly what you see on the screen. I made two lines, horizontal and a vertical, and I labeled the top line character traits, the bottom line I labeled not character traits, and so I'm going to give you my actual list. And the first item I put down was hair color. Where would you put blonde hair? Is that a character trait of mine or a not character trait if I had it? Not character. Where would you put love? Is that character or not character? Character. Where would you put honesty? Character or not character? Character. Um, where would you put generosity? Character or not character? Character. Where would you put intelligence? Character or not character? Not character. Um, where would you put money? Character or not character? Not character. Where would you put pity? Character or not character? Character. Where would you put knowledge? Character or not character? Not character. Where would you put looks? Character or not character? Not character. Where would you put sympathy? Character or not character? Sir, yes. Where would you put uh, all these? It's not hard for people, or for, it wasn't hard for me to say, well, that's a character trait, that isn't. Um, of course, every character quality has an opposite quality. What's the opposite of love? Hate. Um, what's the opposite of honesty? Dishonesty. What's the opposite of generosity? Well, various uh, words, uh, uh, greed, stinginess, miserliness, selfishness, there'd be various words that we could be used. What's the opposite of pity? Contempt, maybe, various words you might think of. Um, what's the opposite of sympathy? Unfeeling, unsympathetic, and so forth, various words. Character qualities, traits are qualities of life available to all which everyone possesses or could possess to a greater or less degree. How many character traits are there? When I first studied this in medical school, I found 64, and when I gave my lecture, I thought this was the number of character traits. The next time I gave the lecture, the list had grown to 109. A friend of mine, a family physician in uh, Wichita, Kansas, Kevin Bryant, went through page by page the unabridged Webster Dictionary, and he found 309. I don't know if he missed any or not, but I think that's a pretty complete list. Now, when we look at character, what's the difference between character and personality? Personality is our unique expression of our character qualities. Um, so, for example, Paul and Moses were both meek, but they expressed that differently, different personalities. What's our reputation? That's the character qualities others think we possess. The hidden man of the heart, my character is who I really am, and that's who you really are, your character. Are you still you after a haircut, after a hairstyling? when your hair turns gray like mine? No, um, when it becomes, um, yeah, platinum blonde. Um, or even if I become bald. Am I still me as I get older? Some authorities report that um, 
Our maximum IQ is at the age of 16. So if you're older than 16 here, you're on the down slope. I'm sorry to inform you. Are you a different person when your bank account and savings change? You know, I, I was uh, in a hospital setting um, working in physical medicine and rehab as a medical, uh, as a director of a rehab hospital when the uh, crash of 89 occurred. And people who had always been so pleasant um, the day before suddenly seemed unpleasant the next day after the crash. Do you become a different person when you earn a PhD? Are you really different after a facelift? While these non-character environmental and inherited factors are not character, they do influence our character. Parents can give us inherited gifts and deficits of genetics. They can surround us with advantages or disadvantages in life. But only we can determine our character. Character is the structure we are building with every thought and every feeling. We deepen the thought or the feeling when we put it into action, a word or a look. And when we repeat these, they become habits. And habits become fixed in our character. The character is our habitual thoughts and feelings. That's who you are. That's who you really, really are. And that's who I am. My habitual thoughts and feelings. Sudden, sudden, unexpected changes in our environment do not make our character, but they can reveal it. Notice that everything in the not character list is changeable and temporary. The character we have at death, the character we have when Jesus comes, is eternal. The world's focus is on that which is temporary. That which absolutely will change over time. The externals, the looks, the fortune, the fame. But heaven's focus is on that which is eternal. The character qualities that will make a difference. It determines whether we, where, whether we will spend eternity in heaven. And when we understand the importance of the hidden man of the heart, the spirit, the character, we will be focusing where heaven focuses. Our investment in time, attention, and thoughts will be on that which will assist us in eternal character development. Um, when I pack for a trip now, I try to get everything into two bags because I don't want to get it lost by putting it on the luggage. Um, and I can carry two bags with me. We're allowed to take two bags on most airlines. And we take only, God gives us two bags to take to heaven. Here's what we can take. The first is our character. The character we develop here on this earth determines the responsibilities that God can entrust to us in heaven. Um, I think of uh, a beauty queen. But what if this person was endowed by God with um, very... Um, very attractive looks, but she became very proud and, and selfish. Um, at most, she might be beautiful for a few years. But what about somebody who maybe have been uh, more ordinary, but they developed a character 
that was beautiful inside. And God can then entrust that person in, the, um, in heaven, maybe their Miss Universe for eternity. Which would you rather have? Uh, good looks for a few years um, and lose eternity or eternity with uh, um, a good character. Uh, I think of uh, intelligence. Um, we've been going downhill since we've been 16, as we mentioned. Um, here was uh, one of the wisest people who ever lived was King Solomon. But he did not develop a character that was commensurate with the wisdom he had. And so I don't know who's going to be Mr. IQ King for eternity, but uh, it won't be Solomon. Um, Book of Proverbs says, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Now, the only other thing we take with us to heaven is our friends who go with us. So everything else is just gonna perish. So our goal should be an eternal investment. We wanna develop a character like Christ and we want to be sharing him um, with others, so others will join us in the trip to heaven. Um, and so we can waste our time on that which will bring no long-term benefit, or we can use our time profitably to improve our character and assist in, in helping others to help it to go to heaven. If we use our money and it's our desire to make it invest in temporary things, we'll never have sufficient. Um, I want to be a long-term investor, not a short-term investor. A long-term investor is not 30, 40 years. A long-term investor is eternity. Anything else, just short-term investment. And wise investments are using our goal to, uh, using our money to build our character and to win others to uh, Jesus. And this is eternal and it'll never be taken away. There's no recession or depression in this kind of investment because you see, character is our true capital. That's our true wealth. In our pursuit of knowledge, our efforts to gain an education, if our goal is merely to become a master in that which is temporary, we'll be satisfied simply to learn facts. I remember when I began to understand the importance of character, it made an immense change uh, in, uh, impression on my educational focus. I stopped studying simply for a grade. My study time became a time of character development. It became my goal to develop character qualities of perseverance, concentration, gaining of knowledge to be more helpful to others. Focusing on Christ and his eternal character qualities brings us peace and happiness. Focusing on the world brings anxiety and depression. To understand the meaning of life, the purpose of life, we understand that our time in this world is simply a school. God arranges the classwork and he brings us the experiences of life as a valuable tool to improve my character and give me opportunities to develop friendships that will last forever. We know that all things, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I was walking to uh, church one Sabbath morning <coughs> in Wichita, Kansas. 
And we lived uh, five miles from the church, and so I could go down uh, several uh, roads that were mostly non-used, but there was one, one road that was a little busy. And as I was walking down this road, standing to the side, I saw a little beetle that was starting to cross the road. And what I could see and that beetle couldn't was that there was a big truck that was going to be bearing down and was going to liable to crush that beetle's life. And you know I had pity on that beetle. And so I stuck my foot out and kicked it back into the ditch. Now, you know, I don't know what that beetle thought. He may have thought I was the meanest ogre. He, he didn't understand. He didn't see the big picture. He didn't know that I was saving his life. He was having stress when he should have had relief. And you know, those things that happened to us, if we just understood that God is working all these things for our good. So he knows what I need and he protects me when sometimes it may feel like I'm unprotected. Um, was I born to be a physician? No, because where I want to spend eternity, there's no sick people, and so I'll be unemployed in heaven. And right now I'm unemployed because I'm retired. I wasn't born to be a physician. Why did God place me as a physician? He placed me because he wanted to prepare me through the circumstances of that particular experience, he wanted to prepare me for an eternity doing what I was really built to be, made to be to do, what will fill me with joy forever and ever and ever. And it won't be taking care of sick people. I don't know what it is, but God knows, and so he puts me in the school to prepare me for eternity. In Wichita, we had a beautiful Bartlett pear tree that would, uh, that would bloom. We, uh, we loved that tree, but we weren't the only ones that loved it. Our, there was a cardinal that loved the Bartlett pear, and he would sit there, but there was one thing that he didn't like. We had a large picture window and as he sat in the Bartlett pear tree, looking into the window, he saw that there was a cardinal there. And uh, he'd start attacking that cardinal, fly into the window and, and attack it, and then he'd fall down to the ground and go back up to the Bartlett tree and see that cardinal again and attack. And I thought he'd quit. It went on week after week after week, and it did it the next year. Um, if only that cardinal could have understood that the enemy cardinal it thought it was attacking was really itself. And so much of our life, dear folk, we're attacking what is really ourselves. And God wants to free us from all that, to understand life is to understand that all the events of life are overruled by God for our eternal good. We can trust Him at all times. We can thank Him at all times. He will care for our needs. We can ask Him to give us each day our daily bread, casting all your care upon Him. Read that with me. 
for he cares for you. Are you thankful for the resources of a Christian, the knowledge of eternity, the knowledge of a loving God that orders all things for my good in his glory? Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, thank you so much for <clears throat> your stress relief program. Truth, forgiveness when we've, uh, when we've failed to follow it. It takes care of our guilt. Perspective, it gives us the joy of working with Christ now that's going to be extended through eternity. The joy of developing friendships that won't end with the end of this life. I pray that you'll bless us this week. Help us to take advantage of all of the um, rich resources that you provide for us in our journey here in the wilderness of this world, preparing us for an eternity in the new earth. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.